passion. It's the passion of the leadership of this church. And taking care of you means meeting your needs uh, spiritually and financially and relationally and also helping you know who you are in God and unlock your spiritual giftings that God has given to you for the purpose of you having your own ministries, being the salt and light of the world wherever you go. I was out at a restaurant just recently and uh, over at uh, BJ's over next to the mall, and I'm sitting there having a burger up at the bar area. I just love doing that because it's my other congregation. And uh, a couple sat down next to me, and I got to talk to them. You know, in their spiritual journey, they are just, you know, nowhere near being churchgoers, which I love. And we got to talking. I started telling them about our church and started telling them about our theology, started telling them about, you know, the, the uh, things that we believe in and the things that happen. And he looked at me and he said, you need to take that outside the church. And I said, we are. And I am. Hi. Right. And so uh, helping train you to have the confidence to take your Christianity outside the four walls to where you work where you go to school, in your neighborhood, that is our goal. Now, the only way that's possible is if we have connect group leaders in the congregation and connect groups. Because you then, because you can't always get to, to me or to Mark or some of the, the primary leadership because we are, um, you know, our plates are full. And we are uh, strategizing about the church and spending time teaching and training and equipping. The, your, your needs are primarily going to get met through the connect groups and through these shepherds. And so because of that, uh, we spend a lot of our time training the connect group leaders so that they are fully equipped to meet your need when you are in need, whether it's casting out a devil, healing the sick, helping your financial stewardship, reconciliation of your marriage, uh, direction in life, how to connect with Christ, whatever it is. They are the shepherds in this congregation. So today we're going to do something uh, different that we've never done before. I'm going to leave with the connect group leaders and the uh, connect group hosts now. And we're going to go into another area on campus, and we, I'm going to spend time training them for your benefit. And then Mark and Shelley, who are the overseers of the Connect Group, that's one of their primary ministries here in the house, are going to feed you the Word of God this morning. Amen? Amen. Amen. So Mark and Shelley, why don't you come on up and take it from here. And I'm going to ask the Connect Group leaders and the Connect Group host to follow me out there. And then at the end of the service, we'll all meet out front for fellowship. Amen? Thanks, Mark. I think some of you probably uh, missed the main point of uh, Mark Meyer's sharing about the Ethiopia trip. The main point is that the women in this congregation should go out and get jobs. (laughs) No one can say I wasn't paying attention. (laughs) That's what I heard, too. See? Another witness. Anyone else? There you go. Well, obviously the Lord has spoken today. We can just go home now. Today's message is entitled, Who Are Your Peeps? That's cool, isn't it? I'm so trendy. Who are your peeps? In other words, who are you hanging with? With what group do you identify with? Everywhere Jesus went, he was surrounded by people. It's rare for him to be alone. But all the people that he was surrounded by really break down into two groups. There was the crowd and there was the disciples. 
The word crowd in the New Testament is used 172 times. Isn't that interesting? I would have thought, oh, I don't know, four or five times. 172 times the word crowd is used in the New Testament. The word disciple, take a guess how many times that one's used. Anybody? If you get it right, I'll give you a dollar. (laughs) The guy on the overhead projector who sees the slide. (laughs) 272 times. A lot more times in the word crowd. At all the important moments in Jesus' life, he was surrounded by two groups, the crowd and his disciples. Let's just because Easter just happened. This is a really good example. Let's take the procession as Jesus comes into Jerusalem. This is a good example of, of uh, the crowd and the disciple. John twelve seventeen. So the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb And raised him from the dead, continued to testify. It was also because they heard that he had performed this sign that the crowd went out to meet him. But at the same time as the crowd went out to meet him, he was with his disciples as they came into the city. What's the difference between these two groups? Between the crowd on one hand and the disciples on the other? Looky-loos. Why does traffic always slow down on a freeway when there's something unusual on the other side of the freeway? What's the deal? Don't we have places to go? Don't our cars have cruise controls or gas pedals? Why do we always slow down to have a look? Okay. The word crowd used in this passage, that the crowd went out to meet him, translates as follows. And this is common for the New Testament usage of the word crowd. Mob, troublesome group, undisciplined mass, a casual non-member group assembled for whatever purpose. There you go. Not a good thing, huh? You guys are laughing every once in a while, and I'm thinking there's something up there on the projector that, that I'm not even noticing. Is, is there like some... Emily Jensen. Emily, for gosh sake. Emily, stop distracting my wife. <laughs> Emily said, she just leaned over to my wife and said, that definition reminds me of my family. <laughs> parenting issues, Emily, parenting issues. A mob, a troublesome group, an undisciplined mass, a casual non-member group assembled for whatever purpose. The connotation of the crowd in the New Testament is always bad. So let's just take a look at what motivates a crowd and what motivates a disciple. And don't don't throw this up yet, Rob. I want to do like a Q&A. What's a crowd all about? Why does a crowd assemble? Good. They want to they want to see something remarkable, an event and usually some kind of spectacle. Crowd is driven by the spectacular crowd comes together for an event. You with me? Okay. what's a disciple come together for? 
Is an event what motivates a disciple? Let's differentiate this way. The crowd assembles for an event. The disciple signs up for a process. The crowd is driven by an event for something spectacular with a beginning, a middle and an end. And it's almost always short. Crowds don't have long lifespans. But discipleship and a disciple signs up for a long process. That's Canadian process process of change. Huge difference in time and motivation. Okay. What else about a crowd in this sense of it being an event? What's the crowd motivated by? Excitement. Yeah, I call it immediate gratification. The only reason the crowd comes together is because something's happening that's going to provide an immediate gratification. What's the disciple motivated by? What's he looking for? What's she looking for? Long-term growth. A process of change that leads to long-term growth. And we already said the third one. What the crowd is fundamentally interested in is a spectacle. In fact, the more spectacular, the better. If there's not a spectacle, if there isn't something spectacular happening, the crowd loses wind really fast and just disperses and goes home. Right? What is a disciple about? Is it the spectacular? It's the unseen hidden values. The disciple is not fundamentally motivated by an event or a spectacle or immediate gratification. It's about unseen hidden values and things that take time to experience. The crowd exists for a short duration. The disciple is in it for a lifetime. You know, if you just get this one thing, the crowd exists for a short duration. The disciple is in it for a lifetime. All of a sudden, the events of your life take on a different meaning. What's important in your life is not what's happening right now. It's the effect of what is happening right now on you as a person over the long haul and what you are ultimately becoming. Come on, let that sink in. What's happening to you right now is not the most important thing in your life. The most important thing is the effect what is happening right now is having on your long term development as a person. And that depends more on your reaction than on the event. Hello? The disciple's perspective, he doesn't get he doesn't get caught up in what's happening right now. That's going to pass away. It may be good. It may be bad. But his reaction, her reaction to what's happening right now is really important. Because that molds and shapes you as a person. Do you see how having this perspective can change the bumps in the road? It's just a bump in the road. That's all. It's going to pass. But how I'm growing through this is of lasting, actually, eternal value. Isn't that interesting? 
oh, gosh, I had a prophetic word I didn't give during worship when it got really quiet. And Kirsten gave that really good word. And, and, and the Lord spoke to me. He said that I didn't even realize it fit with this message. He said. What's happening in your life right now in a thousand years, you won't even remember. But the presence you're experiencing of me right now is a promise of what you're going to have forever. The circumstances of your life right now are not defining your life. Your reactions are defining your life and molding and shaping you into the person you are either going to enjoy for eternity or regret for eternity. Isn't that interesting? See, discipleship, it has a completely different mindset about everything. What motivates it? What part of the person is involved in the crowd? Their emotions. What part of the person is involved in discipleship? Everything. Their will, their mind, their spirit, and their body. It's a whole and complete radical commitment. I just got to tell you, we have a temptation in our brand of Christianity, which is a spirit filled. Presence driven encounter with God, valuing culture. And we place a very high value on how our emotions are impacted by God in the moment. That's simply because we're reacting to an excess of our forebears who valued the mind more than anything else and had an intellectual Christianity. So we've let the pendulum swing towards the emotional side, and that's good for the sake of balance. But people, you can't define the quality of your relationship with God simply by the emotions you're experiencing in the moment. He's not gone because you're down. And he's not bigger and more wonderful because you're up. The beautiful thing about him is he never changes. He's not rattled by your emotions. He doesn't go, oh, my God, what am I going to do with God? Because she's doubting me. He doesn't. He just goes on being who he is. And he knows those emotions, those fears are going to blow over. Just hold on to what you really believe about me. Cling to that truth. Don't let your emotions lie to you. It's never as good as you feel and it's never as bad as you feel. There's something else going on. Name's God. The great consistent one, the rock that you cling to. What's the depth of commitment for a crowd? Well, it's really simple. It's an emotional commitment and the commitment is over when the desire is satisfied. And they never last very long. The disciples commitment is absolutely and completely total, even to death. What's the crowd's prime motivation? My needs, my experience, my emotions, my spectacle. What's the disciples prime motivation? Jesus desires. What does he want? Because as a disciple, 
I'm in it for him. That really helps, too, when life is hard. If you can get this point. I know it's counterintuitive, but your life isn't about your life. Your life is about his life. So when your life is hard, it doesn't make any difference to your ultimate purpose. It just doesn't. It doesn't have to rattle your ultimate purpose. Two months ago, I was sitting in the backyard. I'm 61 years old. Soon. I don't know about you, but that's really old. That's like I might as well be... Easy for you to say, fellow geriatric. (laughs) Listen, sometimes it feels old, okay? And I'm sitting in the backyard and I'm thinking about the next 20 years because they're the last 20 years. And, uh, you know, what it's going to be and and how God's going to get me through it. And, uh, you know, because I'm like I'm having doubts and stuff. I'm wondering how well spent this life has been and, you know, the things I've passed up because I went for the kingdom and stuff like that. And I'm just doing a little self-pity jag. You know, it's good. It's really bad. (laughs) Really bad. Self-pity. Of all the sins that you can engage in and flatter yourself with and enjoy and luxuriate in, self-pity is the absolute worst thing you can do. It will destroy your faith. It will rob you of your joy. It will sever you from your most significant relationships. Nobody wants to go out to dinner with a self-pitying narcissist. Hello? Get over it. I'm talking to myself, okay? So I'm I'm, I'm sitting in the backyard coping with getting old, and I said, God, you know... What what are you what are you going to be for me in the next 20 years? Because I I need you to be something for me in the next 20 years to get me through the next 20 years. So I don't just give up. What are you going to be for me? What do I need you to be? What do I need you to be for me for the next 20 years? He gave me one word. Your purpose. Wasn't the cuddly word I thought he was going to give. But man, it's just like really rocked my world. Don't forget your purpose because a disciple's life is defined by his or her purpose. What are you here for? What were you made for? It just I mean, it's so cool. It just redefined things for me. And then I went down to Mexico a couple of weeks ago to, to Dirk and I took a team to uh, to the mission. I hadn't been down to the mission for like five or six years. And I used to go all the time. Because I'd fallen into this, do I really do any good down there thing anyway? And, oh, gee, I might get killed on the road or, you know, there's there's bad people in Mexico. And I knew someone that got sick once. And I mean, just sick, pathetic stuff. I'm down there, and the woman that started the thing 40 years ago, man, this woman's something. She happened to be there, and she was preaching on Monday morning. She took my time that I was supposed to have preaching at the service on Monday morning. Who does she think she is? The founder of this? Oh, she is the founder of this organization. And she and she's just she's just preaching, and I am undone. I am weeping through the whole message. And then she says, 
I, and they do a tour every Monday for people that go down there, first-timers. You get to do a tour, and this place is incredible. They have an operating room theater. They have an auto shop, electrical shop, where they teach kids electrical, uh, car stuff, construction. They have a TV studio, and they broadcast to the valley. They run the fire department and the rescue service with all professional gear run out of that mission. They have transformed the life of that valley. Vicente Fox, when he was the president of Mexico, went to his social welfare department, which is about this big. They don't have a lot of social welfare down there. And said, what's the best orphanage in Mexico? And they said, this one. And he flew all of the kids on his private jet to his ranch for the weekend to have a barbecue. So she's doing this tour, you know. Taking us around. Every room we go to is a miracle. The people in those rooms just telling how this happened and this happened and how this got here and this got here. And I was in tears for that whole thing. And the Lord spoke to me and said, this is your purpose. You've got to start coming down here a lot. And she took me aside afterwards and said, you've got to come down here a lot. I said, you're late. <laughs> he already told me that about half an hour ago. See, just it's like rediscovering your purpose and not losing sight of your purpose. Your purpose as a Christian is what defines your life. And if you haven't found it, you're just skidding around in the crowd. Figure out your purpose and start doing it. Because that informs and forms and transforms your life. And when you lose sight of it, like I was beginning to lose sight of it, you just kind of float away. Where's the anchor? What's the relational commitment in a crowd? None. They're not there for anybody else. They're there for themselves. What's the relational commitment of a disciple? We're brothers and sisters. We fight and we live together for the long haul. Listen to this. This is one of the disciples talking. John 11, verse 7. Then after he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again, where he was going to get killed. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you. And are you going there again? And Jesus said, yes. And then in verse 16, Thomas says, let's go with them that we can die too." That right there, that phrase, let's go with them that we can die too," is the definition of a disciple. Unto the death. Now, it's really tempting to say that the difference between the person in the crowd and the disciple is that the first the person in the crowd is not saved and the disciple is saved. We use this word saved. That's the criterion that the North American church usually uses to define those people that surround Jesus now and then. You're either saved or you're not saved. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
That's the distinction we like to use. That person's either saved or they're not saved. But that's not the only distinction the Bible makes. And I'm not even sure it's the main distinction the Bible makes. Listen to this. Matthew 21, verse 28. Jesus said, what do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and he said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And the son answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and he went. And then the father went to the second son and said the same, go work in the vineyard. And he answered, I go, sir. But he didn't go. Which of the two did the will of the father? And they said, well, the first. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, tax collectors and prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. This is a fancy verse that really says this. Actions speak louder than words. Your words really don't mean a thing. They're window dressing and fluff in your life. Smart people pay no attention to your words. They watch what you do. If you want to know what a person thinks, watch how he lives. If you want to know what he values, watch how he lives. If you want to know what he cares about, watch how he lives. Do you understand? What we believe is what we do. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of the father in heaven. I think Jesus is making it really clear. Being a disciple is not about what you say. It's about what you do. Do you know that this all of a sudden can put a whole lot of converts into the crowd category? Come on, let it sink in. Just let it sink in. What he's saying here can put a whole lot of converts saved right into the crowd category. And the sad truth is that in the church, there's both crowd and disciples. But the quality of your life is determined by which determined by which camp you pitch your tent in. Are you with me? Now, here's the real problem, because I'm not trying to create first class and second class citizens. You can do that in your own heart. But here's what I here's the worst of it, guys. The worst of it is not that there's crowd and disciples in the church. The worst of it is that there's crowd and disciple in each one of us. That's the worst of it. That's the problem. Every one of us, no matter how committed we fancy ourselves to be, we have some crowd in us. But these two groups are at war. By which reality is going to win? Which set of values is going to govern? Which set of choices are going to be made? It's sobering, isn't it? Now, Shelley's going to come up and give you hope. <laughs> you done? You good? Use that one, yeah. Conflict that Mark is talking about. And, you know, 
it affects every single one of us differently. So it's not cut and dry. Like you say, it's not, I'm here, I don't have to worry about that crowd mentality. It's the conflict in each one of us. And so, yeah, we're not here to judge. We, we can't even search our own heart. And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit at the end to search our heart because of that conflict. But there's hope. So, so let's think. Let's ask, does, does the Father sit there and say, yeah, I see the conflict, crowd mentality or disciple. I see it all the time. I'm just going to sit back. Good luck. Mazel tov. Is that our Father? Yeah. The entire message of the gospel, the good news is that he sent his son to die in our place as a sacrifice so that we can be connected, connected. So every single part of his nature, of his power, of his character is now available to us. Do you get that? I mean, sometimes I think we lose the good and the good news. We get all tied up in our works. It is a gift flowing through us. It's fruit. I brought, um, I brought a plant. John gave us a visible illustration last week of the, the, the branch cut off from the tree. I wanted to bring us something to focus on. There's flowers. Did, did these, did this vine just try to get these flowers to come up? No. Because the flowers came out because he's part of a vine. And, um, but, you know, as Mark talked about, there's daily choices. There's daily pullings to pull back and kind of watch something or pull back when something's uncomfortable. But he gives us the indwelling spirit, and it's the spirit that brings the fruit. So just... In closing today, we're just going to look at three of the aspects of the, of the fruit that comes down from him and out through us. And I, I'm going to look at how, it affects, how it's affected because we're connected. John did an excellent sermon last week of talking about being connected to God through his word and through his presence and through one another. But what does that look like? So let's break it down. And in the illustrations, I'll talk about my connect groups. Um, And I'm not trying to say that connect groups are the end all and be all of spiritual transformation. I mean, this is the area that Mark and I oversee. But we know that the real point is is relationships. It's, It's how do we have intentional relationships. And sometimes those are done through prayer partners through accountability partners, but but some intentional form. I use connect groups as an example because the the neat thing about connect groups is you're not always in control. I know that might not sound like good news right now, but as we go on and as we start to see the synergy through the connecting, in a friendship you can kind of choose who you like and who likes you and you feel good and it's nice and cozy. In a connect group you never know who's going to show up, right, Laura? We're glad they brought you. That's what we can say. (laughs) So let's read uh, Galatians. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. 
For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with one another, so that you do not do what you want to do. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what he brings. That's what being connected to him brings. Just, just let that sink in. You see, this puts discipleship in a whole new light. It, it has this, and if you could go back to the slide I missed, Rob. Discipleship is now revealing it's not about what we need to be doing. Do, 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 do. It's what we can do. Do you understand? There's an ability in us now. There's, there's energy, a life source flowing through us. And we're going to see how those connections. So let's talk about love. Now, I guess it's such an obvious thing. We know from 1 John 4:12 that when we, no one's seen God, but when we love one another, God is revealed, right? Is that just not the most incredible thing? I mean, it's a good thing there's not a chandelier here or I'd be swinging off it. And y'all know me. You know how goofy I get. But really, it's not circumstantial. It's this message. It's his life in us. Let's not lose sight of that. We can love. And when we connect with other people that can love, it is supernatural. It is supernatural. It casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Can you imagine our lives if we were not run by our fears? Could you imagine getting to the place where love has so seeped in your life through his word, through his presence, through his people, and you're no longer run by fear? Now, I... My own testimony and many testimonies of people in Connect Groups, I've seen this. And, you know, Mark talked about the crowd assembles for an event. But the disciples gathers for a process. Now, when you go to a Connect Group, I'm not sure. Maybe somebody has had this experience where the first night in there, bang, they bounced out whole, healed, and loved. Zowie! What a great group. If you have been in that group, we would like to know the leaders because we would like to hire them and give them our jobs. But often, a connect group is a series of deposits, little by little, week by week by week by week. It grows. So it's not that event. It's a a deposit and a growing. Let's think about joy. Now, Again, joy is this incredible sensation of a lifting of hope and things. And, you know, I've, I've often come to church or gone to group. I've been so tired, so weighted down by circumstances. I'm not coming in with the joy of the Lord. But you know what? I'm joining with other people that are rejoicing, right? And there's a connecting We rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. So people will enjoy my joy and they'll also share my burdens. 
Do you know that? Apostle Paul says in Romans, he says, I can't wait to come see you. I want to give you a spiritual gift, and I want to receive one. There's this interconnecting. Now, Mark and I started the 2030 group. You know, Rainy and Joel, we, we thought we were hip, we were cool. You know, we can do this. Well, just by using the words hip and cool, I think I've already tipped my hand. Uh, the, the final blow, though, the day you brought out your cell phone. Okay, we have an archaic cell phone. The kids hadn't even seen that. It was so old. And, and we couldn't text if our life depended on it. We were duds. Actually, you might remember that season last year um, when I, do, I call it my wig phase. You know, I donned the brunette wig and people said, oh, you look so young, so nice. So I wore it all the time, slept with it, did laundry with it. But really, it's, the, it's being with those incredible people week after week after week. That, that we got younger, didn't we? We, we shared their joy. We share their, their, the things they're going through in life. You know? And it, it was something special. So, again, it wasn't immediate. Those first few weeks at Connect Group, I was so nervous. I was just a wreck. Um, but the long term, I... You're my peeps. You're my peeps. <laughs> and so, last one, patience. Now, I'm going to level with you, and maybe, you know, I don't want to highlight all the bad things about Connect Groups uh, and make them look like just you're walking into a, a really bad situation, but just between you and me, you're not always going to like the people in your group. Now, maybe I shouldn't say that. Maybe, maybe that's like the elephant in a room, and you know, but, but I'm only up here one time, so I'm going to talk about it. There are people that just irritate your socks off. You know, like your cousin who just talks incessantly about all the people they've been with and all the jobs they've had, and you just, they just drone on. Well, you've got to endure that at your family reunions, but I'm sorry. There might be one of those at your group. Or... A woman who, I don't know, is a love-hate relationship with deodorant? You know, it's, I'm sorry. Let's talk about these things. We're not all the same, are we? There's going to be people that come that you just like, and they'll find you. <laughs> so, okay. Anyway, enough of that. But what I need to say is the fruit of patience is yours okay i gotta tell you the people that have been the hardest for me to get along with are now the closest and they they've brought more growth in my life than any other people you know sometimes i've hosted a group if i could have changed groups i would have but they're in my house what do you do okay so so um, the last slide is, as we stay connected to him, we have supernatural ability to connect with others. There's more fruit that's going to come 
as we share their joy, their griefs, their sorrow. He gives us the power to be faithful. Let's read Galatians in the uh, Message Bible just to end. And my counsel is this, live freely, animated. Animated means you're indwelt. Something's coming up inside. Motivated by God's spirit, then you won't feed the compulsions of the sinful nature, for there's a root of sinful self-interest that's at odds with the free spirit, free spirit incompatible with selfishness. But look, what happens when we live God's way? We, he brings gifts into our lives much the same way as he brings fruit. It appears in an orchard, things like affection for one another exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, a conviction that basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. That's the fruit. That's the fruit so if the, um, do we have, uh, Kirsten, if you're here, if we could have some worship music, because we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit now to search our hearts. As I said, as Mark talked and we saw the conflict within each of us to pull away sometimes, or when something isn't going as well, we just drop it and find something new. You know, I find, I'm a doer. I'm a tasker. I find more fulfillment often in getting things done. And I love the things I do in the kingdom with the community and the helping people. And sometimes I find it hard to put that aside because it's so fulfilling and enter into deep relationships. You see, when I'm doing things, I have control. When I'm in a relationship, I don't always have control. So if you just want to close your eyes. Holy Spirit, just show us in our heart. Do we gravitate towards an event? Are we willing to access your fruit to stay in the process? Do I go and hang on with things only when there's immediate gratification? Am I more excited about that spectacular event that feels so good? Am I willing to take your energy, to take your connections for the hidden gains, the unseen gains in my character? Am I committed to my group when it's convenient? When it stops feeling good? Father, I've been hurt in relationships. I came into life with you, God, with a lot of hurts from my childhood, with a lot of things and a lot of fears and a lot of walls built up. And I'm not sure I want to risk more relationships after what I've had. Do I really believe that you're enough 
to come through me and heal me so that I won't always hurt. you are so good and it's safe to be with you alone in my room alone in my home or safe to come here and say hello to the people I'm comfortable with but do you want to give me some hope today do you want to give your spirit 